From the train of Olnavia's diaphanous gown, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two of Dr. Phoebe's clockwork wizards, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. A Dr. Phoebe's reference. That's pretty cool. Hey, Corey, who sent that one in? That was brought to you by William T. Garve Garver of BoozeMovies.com for all your booze movie needs, whatever nice. that means. Although he did use the word diaphanous. That's big time. Yeah, baby. Not sure I can even spell that. So, um, let's see. We got, gosh, we got a lot of stuff today. Mark, t- tell, tell our people about the book. We, we talk about books, too, on this show once in a while, whenever a relevant book comes out. What did we get? What outstanding piece of literature was recently sent to us? We got uh, yet another Star Trek book. This is Star Trek The Next Generation on board the USS Enterprise. This is an oversized uh, book, not not coffee table thick, but oversized. If this had come out when I was 13 or 14, around the time that I was buying things like the Star Trek Spaceflight chronology and going, wow, look what happened back in that year, uh, I would have been all over this, but... um, yeah, so, I don't know. This honestly, just feels... Who, who loves Star Trek more than you and me? No. Yeah, I, I know. This just... So what I'm saying is that uh, I, I told Wade before the show that there are so many Star Trek books that if Starfleet actually existed, <laughs> there would be less literature on the actual Starfleet than there is in the Star Trek TV show. True. Now, Absolutely true. Uh, so this stuff just comes across as very repetitive. However, what you're really buying is a, uh, is a CD, a 3D tour of the USS Enterprise. Now... What's going to happen is, although I cannot recommend the book because the book is just too repetitive. Well, um, the book feels thrown to, It doesn't feel – you know, the technical manuals were always really cool, right? Like I remember I bought the Starfleet technical manual by Ballantine Books. I bought like four copies and I still have them, the original ones. And there's nothing about it that suggests that it's a commercial book. It doesn't, it doesn't have like, you know, a description on the back or anything. It's like a real technical manual from Starfleet. I have the Starfleet com- blueprints. It came, it came right. in that, that, that little uh, vinyl pouch. I, I also that. got the Starfleet medical reference manual, which, which includes like, you know, how to perform first aid when an Andorian's antenna is broken. You crop it between the thumb and forefinger and well, you hold it important. up. You know, uh, Vulcan urine is thick and viscous and kills plant life on contact. Why Klingons have two livers. I mean, there's all this cool stuff in it. it really is pretty well thought out awesome this is not that no but the cd yeah. is really what you're buying yeah and the cd is a 3d tour of the enterprise and that 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 has its moments i will say but if you you know what i would do if you can get the cd without the book i think you'd be happy yeah it's not happening and of course it's, it's written by um uh michael okuda and his wife and they're the ones who really are sort of the uh they're the keepers of all Super hyper technical Star Trek yeah, they, uh, information. They are they are people who have absolutely nothing better to do with their time. Just like me, I I, I would almost be terrified to see what their home looks like. I really would. Uh, you know what? You know what their home is probably like. It looks Large, like <laughs> big because they have a lot of money. Because all they do is write Star Trek books. Their pro- their home probably looks like the uh, transporter room. Oh, that'd be awesome! Wouldn't it be awesome? You walk in, and it's like a starship. I do wish I could live in Star Trek time. You know, when I was a kid at one point. When you were I was, a kid? Yeah, I was a kid. When I was like, I don't know, maybe I was like nine or ten, I can't remember. I actually went around. You remember all those, those old label makers? Yes. The, the, with, the, with the plastic. Yeah, they, they looked like a little gun. Yeah, where, the, where it would, would, it would, it would press the, the plastic yes. and it would make it, uh, it would like, create raised letters that were white because the plastic would would buckle. Oh, sure. Yeah, you remember those. Nobody knows what those are anymore. Everyone's like, "Oh, I got a P Touch." Uh, yeah, it's not a label maker. It's not the, the same. The thing. the P Touch was like the label maker 
Like, you know, like, wow, I'm glad I lived to see this day. Yeah, exactly. So I actually took one of those old label makers and I printed out labels and that would describe every room in the house and what it was. Like I labeled the master bedroom the bridge and then I labeled another room as the transporter room. It was really quite funny. The yeah. shuttle bay. Yeah, I did that to my house. Funny is not the word I would use. For that. <laughs> okay. Anyway, all right. So we should get this uh, show going. What you? Oh, you got the 3D thing going. Oh, look yes, at that. I have uh, loaded up the Star Trek The Next Generation yes. uh, 3D CD. Yeah. And uh, I went to the most boring part of the ship, which is the cargo hold. <laughs> Why did I do that? I don't know. Uh, while you're doing that, I'm going to eat one of your cookies, and then we'll get, get rolling. So, uh, what, what are these cookies? What am I eating this uh, one? They're chocolate mint cookies. Oh. I, I didn't have time to bake, oh, nice. so I baked something kind of uh, simple. It's very good. I like them. They're good. I think I've had these before, haven't I? No, I've not. No? Them okay. Um, Why are we looking at the cargo hold? I don't know. Okay. So here's the thing. Let's talk about DVDs because yeah. nobody wants to see. All right. Nobody wants to see us do the two things they can't enjoy, which is the CD, which they don't have, and the cookies, yeah. which they can't eat. That's fine. The one thing we can do is talk All about right. DVDs. All right. so, Thank here. you very much. Let, let us never speak of this uh, this uh, Star Trek CD again. So I Here's finally uh, was able to get hold. Hmm. Very good. Chocolate and mint go well together. They do. Says the person who loves... Um, Peppermint patties. It's well, that's what it is. It's peppermint extract. Mm-hmm. So, finally got some stuff from um, wow, boy, from Warner Archive. I gave you water. You have water. Yeah, I know. All right. From the Warner Archive collection, a couple of great TV uh, superhero titles, which are worth talking about because you know superheroes. Superheroes are still all the rage. Um, and uh, this one is the complete second season of Superboy, which I'd completely forgotten even existed. And, you know, it's funny how many of these Superman series, they just come and go and they come and go. And, um, this you know, this is kind of a cheesy show, but it wasn't bad for its time. And uh, it's interesting watching it and thinking about what the, the Zack Snyder thing will wind up being. Everybody's worried. Everyone is very worried. Um, well, I mean, who cares? But the interesting thing about Superboy was that this was directly tied to the Superman movie. Because this was the Salkinds who did this. So this was their attempt to sort of take their original Superman films, the Christopher Reeve films, and somehow make a segue into television. Didn't really work. Um, but it, was, it, is, it is definitely part of the same lore, part of the same, um, you know, uh, uh, world. It, it's meant to be a part of those movies, the Christopher Reeve movies. As didn't have the John Williams score. No, I sure didn't. But uh, you know what? It's, it's, okay, it's okay for its time, and it certainly has some interesting connection to the comic books and, you know. Get a lot, a lot of great, like uh, Mister McSpitlick, you know, a lot of these villains. Oh yeah, Mister Mixelplicks, whatever yeah, his name whatever, is. It is, whatever it is, yeah, awesome. Bizarro, and all these guys from the uh, from the comic book. So that's not bad. That's the second season, and the the transfer quality is perfectly fine. I'm much more excited about this. this no, I'm that sh- was lame. This totally fl- not... slipped right under everybody's radar. No, I long before, long before Linda Carter was Wonder Woman, they tried Wonder Woman a different way. A bad way, work. a lame way, a <laughs> stupid way, a way that satisfied nobody. <laughs> Zero. Unless you're a Kathy Lee Crosby fan, uh, which I am, and I always was. Uh, Kathy Lee Crosby, the uh, the most attractive and least talented of uh, Bing Crosby's children. Anyway, uh, yes, the Ka- Kathy Lee Crosby played Wonder Woman wearing an outfit that they, right here look, looks nothing at all like I, that, Wonder That's Wo- why nobody liked it. It was the lamest. <laughs> it was she's just the lamest. Co- covered head to toe, kind of a mini skirt, very 70s looking, uh, didn't really work at you all. You realize that I used to live in the same building as Kathy Lee Crosby. 
Did you really? I didn't you realize that. that when I in the um, this is the uh, early eighties. Yes, I was a kid. Mid okay. mid eighties, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathy Lee Crosby had a long time relationship with Joe Theismann, I'm the no former kidding. NFL quarterback. I did not know that. And uh, they had a relationship. And when they had this relationship, they were living in my apartment building. And this was after Joe Theismann had that horrible, um, that horrible, uh, you know, uh, that play where he snapped his leg. Oh gosh, I remember, remember that. that. I, I was, I remember seeing that game live. That, that was, was in 1985. So oh, and that was so, so awful. All I remember is that sometimes I see Joe Theismann, sometimes I see Kathleen Crosby, and I did remember, and I might have mentioned this on the show before. I did remember that they drove a. At the time, brand new gold colored or gold colored, a brand new uh, gold Corvette, which at the time, the mid 80s is when the Corvette kind of changed their body style to something super cool that everyone loved. And um, they drove that car. No kidding. So the moral now, I'm not sure if, if Joe Theismann lived there and Kathy was Kathy Lee was shacking up with mm-hmm. him or whether Kathy Lee lived there and Joe Theismann was shacking up. I was a kid, didn't ask those sorts of questions, but I knew that they were there. Wow. Well, good night, everyone. This is uh, not that that's an unworthy tangent, but. Uh, oh, no, it's worthy, Wade. Yeah, I guess. Why don't you go eat another cookie? Maybe that'll be more worthy. Yeah, maybe. Well, anyway, the, the great television director, Burns, uh, Vincent McEvity, uh, directed. He directed this. a bunch of Star Trek. Tons. He, he tons. did. He directed a bunch of Star Trek. I know. He directed Gunsmoke. He directed, you know, t- I mean, gobs of television right on into the 80s. He's still alive, by the way. He's 83. Uh, so uh, Vincent McEvity, who is just a legendary television director, directed this. And honestly, yes, is it satisfying as Wonder Woman? No, no. but it's it, you know what? It, it, it's an interesting take. It uh, lame. It 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 has a certain kind of uh, lameness, cool place in Wonder Woman lore, and it's got Ricardo Montalban, and you can't go wrong with Ricardo Montalban, can you? Oh, of long time. Uh, yeah. We love Ricardo Montalban. We do. We love. There's him a very theater much. in Hollywood named after Ricardo Montalban. Is there really? You know that. I didn't know that. It's the Ricardo Montalban Theater. It's on uh, it's on uh, uh, Highland between Hollywood and Sunset. Now, we're going to get into documentaries here in a second. There are an unbelievable number of really great docs this week. I mean, like Oscar-nominated stuff, but just otherwise really high-profile docs. But a few things I want to blow through. And this is always interesting to me. People kind of make fun of uh, uh, the mockbusters that Asylum does. You know, our friends over at Asylum, David Latt and David Romali. Uh, because, oh, they're just trying to capitalize on uh, this and that and the other. Everyone does that. That's the reason why you get the animated uh, Lord of the Rings stuff released at the same time as the regular Lord of the Rings, because everyone's trying to piggyback on stuff. Everyone's looking for that opportunity. You get the animated Spider-Man released when the live-action Spider-Man movie opens. Everyone does it. Um, Mark, have you, have you seen the Roma Downey, uh, the first episode of the Roma Downey Bible thing? I have not seen any of the Roma Downey Bible things. Okay. I don't like Roma Downey. And, uh, well, it's Mark Burnett. You like Mark Burnett. He's your pal. You've worked with him, haven't you? I have not worked with Mark Burnett. Not Mark, oh, okay. I thought you had. However, I do know they obviously have yeah. the... Uh, well, they, anyway. they're, they're, they're lovers. Yeah, they're married. They're having relations. <laughs> they, <laughs> have, they have the occasional sexual congress. Uh-huh. Thank you. Now, you okay. eat that cookie and talk. I, mm-hmm. I dare you. So, they did this Bible thing, right? <laughs> it started on Sunday. Yes. Ten parts. Ten hours actually winds up being more like eight hours with commercials on the History Channel, which is the entire Bible, kind of like the the entire Bible um, in you know in dramatic as, form. As as only a man who produces reality television can create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> from the man who brought you exactly whatever the man who brought you Survivor. Whatever is the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> we dare you to survive all ten hours. So suddenly, everybody is doing Bible stuff again. 
It's it's just it's just nuts. Now the History Channel obviously would you know it's their series, so I'm not surprised that they release a couple of these things. We get a couple of discs here. Uh, it's all compilation stuff. Bible stories from the Old Testament and Bible stories from the New Testament. And this is nine epic stories from creation to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament one, which is uh, just a whole bunch of stuff from the the History Channel all just rammed together to capitalize on this. You get you know Moses the Ten Commandments and biography and. Samson and Delilah episode for biography. You get histories, mysteries, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, story of creation from mystery to the Bible, mega disasters, Noah's great flood. So they went and just really culled a bunch of those things together, which is sort of hilarious. I mean, this is just shameless. And then uh, nine more in the uh, New Testament thing, which is uh, obviously the uh, the biography episodes of Jesus and Mary Magdalene and uh, Pontius Pilate and mysteries of the Bible, Paul the Apostle and Judas and Lost Worlds, Herod the Great. I mean, it's it's uh, and the thing is, stuff isn't bad. It just it just feels shameless. But they're actually good little documentary things. But obviously, they've, they've all been put together in this form just to capitalize on the Roman Downey uh, Mark Burnett thing. You know, this Star Trek CD it, it looks like it feels like some Flash program from like 1998. And then, it's terrible. Not surprisingly, people over at um, at New Line decided to uh, pop out Blu-ray of the Nativity Story. How about that? Yeah, but it stars the girl from Whale Rider. She's I know. awesome. Who got pregnant like <laughs> when she was making this movie. Directed by Catherine Hardwick, who went and said, you know, it's not enough that I screwed up the Twilight series, got it off on the wrong foot. I'm going to go and screw up the Bible, too. So there it is. Nativity Story, not really that great, but not a, not a bad Blu-ray, I'll have to say. Um, it's got, you know, only a featurette and some trailers on it, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very, it's a nicely shot film. It has a certain luster to it, even if it is a little bit cheesy. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that's out there capitalizing on all that as well. And then we have a bunch of stuff from VCI. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> I'm just sort of mystified by this. Volume 1, Christian Cowboy, double feature. I bet you never knew this, exa- this existed, did you? That is some great animation. That, that is Pixar-level <laughs> animation, folks. you got to really rent this. Christian Cowboy Double Feature, Volume 1. Danger on the Pioneer Express and Bad Rock Valley Gang. Um, and this is a little bit of that kind of Davy and Goliath-style thing where, it, where it's all about um, teaching you Bible stories in a different context. And I find it incredibly cheesy. And then uh, also from uh, VCI is kind of part of the same series. Are these uh, these these dramatizations of stuff from the Bible, and uh, you've got well, let's see here. These are like stories from the Old Testament, Christian classics, great leaders of the Bible, uh, Joseph and his brethren, Saul and David, Jacob, who the man who fought with God, and this is all stuff that was uh, originally made in the 1960s, and it's uh, appropriately low budget and rather quite cheesy. You could tell that they were just uh, somebody was throwing this together. Over in Italy, and and uh, really making a, they're doing their their very their level best to do um, to Bible stories what they had already done to Hercules movies and the um, uh, and spaghetti westerns. So it's all rather intolerably cheesy, but yet somehow kind of kitschy and entertaining at the same time. And then uh, the last one here is the Power of the Resurrection, which uh, stars Richard Kiley of all people. <laughs> And Richard Kiley, um, looking truly ridiculous. I, I, it's just, it's, it's amazing how this stuff just does not age well. This is from 1958, and uh, I, I just don't know. But uh, you know, give it a look. It's, it's like I said, it's kitschy and sort of groovily entertaining on a, on a weird. Uh, it's like like those the, the the high school movies, right? They have that same kind of luster. 
Well, the only high school movies I remember are the ones, uh, the um, the ones that taught you how to like um, drive safely. Right. Like that's blood what I'm on the asphalt, about. that kind of stuff. That's what I'm talking about. All right, Mark. Let's talk. Let's talk about some docs. Uh, this is a great documentary that is a complete, absolute, total must viewing called "How to Survive a Plague." This is a uh, wonderfully put together documentary by David France. This thing uh, charts the um, creation of um, Act Up. Right. <laughs> I was chewing. Sorry. It charts the creation of Act Up, and what's interesting is that it actually it not only charts the creation of Act Up, but also charts its breakup. Mm-hmm. And how it started to splinter, and the reasons why it started to splinter. So it's a it's a it's a, it's a combination of the of the the ebb and flow of, of 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 activist groups and how they form, and once they become very powerful, the factions that sort of split them apart, and it also charts the uh, the evolution of the country's awareness of AIDS and and Washington's awareness of AIDS and their disinterest and that interest in in helping to it's, find a cure for it, and it's just a great documentary. I'll say this. It is incredibly comprehensive, oh, yeah. and it's not polemical, as you might think. It's not sort of like, oh, those horrible people who let people die from AIDS, you know. It doesn't really it, – it, it, it definitely has a point of view, but it's not so polemical that you feel like they're just – skipping details and glossing over things and whitewashing complicated situations in order to just make a, a political point. They really do give you a thorough, thorough history in this film. It's, uh, and it's fascinating because there's so many details. That, I mean, I, we lived through this stuff, and I, I didn't know half of it. So, Yeah, this is great. How to Survive a Plague. Uh, there's a commentary by the uh, director and a couple of the uh, Act Up activists, some deleted scenes, and uh, this is great. We have it on uh, DVD, but whether it's DVD or Blu-ray, uh, you really should go ahead and check out How to Survive a Plague, a great documentary, Oscar-nominated. All right, Mark, uh, we're not allowed to wear the uh, little yellow uh, wristbands anymore because Lance Armstrong came clean as a cheater. But we do have one. And that, that broke your heart, didn't it? You know what, it did, but uh, I'm over it. So, um, it, But I have another one here, a new one, uh, anti-bullying. Here you go, a- time to take charge. This was sent to you us. You know what, uh, I, I, was not a, I, I was bullied. I was not a bullier. Yeah, well, I uh, even remember my, my bully's name. See, that goes in tandem with bully. The uh, documentary, which which frankly isn't is so so as a documentary, but man, did Harvey Weinstein milk the hell out of this thing right and after? That's what he does. Right after last year's Oscars, I mean, right after last year's Oscars, you you you, you win for uh, the artist, and then suddenly there's this uh, this controversy over the film Bully, and uh, wow, no, just and there there you go. So anyway, this is the PG thirteen version that I have in my hands here. And um, which they were they were able to get knocked down from the R-rated version, uh, you know, the without changes, I should say. So it was originally rated R, and they uh, they you know worked the system and got it somehow bumped down to a PG-13. And Harvey does that beautifully. Wade. Yes. What? What are you doing? I don't know. You just um, like actually, it's a, it's a good film. It's just it, not. It's not brilliant. It's I, just, I agree. It's not brilliant. Yeah. But I did like. You know, there's a, there's a. Um, uh, and some may disagree with this, and I actually mentioned this in my review that one of the women who are uh, who's profiled in this, she's bullied because she's lesbian. Yes. And my problem with that was I felt like that's not the same as I mean that's more like uh, homophobia. Yeah. To me, the bullying that I think I mean homophobia is of course terrible, but the bullying that I think this movie wants to point out, and I think that the story, this terrible story, this this brave young woman gets us off that track is just. Just 
bullying for the sake of a nerd with glasses. Yeah, right. Or you're just uh, this crazy social outcast who wants to beat up small kids. Yeah. I think when you start to get into like homophobia and, and racism and they, they and become misog- They become subsets of the greater problem. Yes. Yes, I so, agree. It got a little off track for me, but uh, well, I, I think I think the the fact that bullying the bullying of kids who are gay has sort of is what brought the issue to the fore because everybody always kind of accepted. Well, there's always going to be bullies. There's always going to be the nerd kid who gets poked, picked on, who gets pants, who gets you know gets Melvin, and there's always going to be the girl who's outcast because she's a little overweight or she has glasses, and we're just going to accept that. And it wasn't until kids who were gay started getting bullied and, you know, started committing suicide. And, I mean, there are much more dire consequences there um, that suddenly people said, you know what, maybe this isn't something we should just accept. So I do think that, that yes, it does get us a little bit off track. But, again, then that is the – that those were the bullying incidents that made it somehow something that people decided maybe we shouldn't be just so accepting of this. So I'm okay with that. Uh, you know what? Another documentary that uh, was Oscar nominated last year and is just brilliant. I cried. Documentaries don't make me cry. Movies rarely make me cry, but this I just wept. There, there is just um, there is amazing emotion in this. Undefeated. Uh, this is the uh, the Academy Award winning documentary for 2011. And rightly so. It is just absolutely outstanding. Um, what's fascinating about this is that this is one of those documentaries that started off being one thing and then became another. And, yes, it's, 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 in theory, it's about, you know, kind of one of those underdog sports movies, right? It's, a, you know, a lackluster team and the coach that has to build them and inspire the guys. But there are, and I'll give nothing away, there are moments in this film, and there's one moment in particular where a thing happens and you just think you could not have scripted this any better i just sat there and i had to pause it i was watching it on a screener last year i had to pause it and i just sat there and i cried for like like a minute and a half it was so unbelievably moving it is a wonderful wonderful film it is better than most narrative films and i don't say that about most documentaries i really think it's outstanding so the blu-ray yeah you could watch it on dvd blu-ray it doesn't really matter i mean it's it's nice to see it on blu-ray it's certainly crisp and theatrical but it's not essential you can watch it in uh, any form whatsoever and it's still unbelievably moving love that movie undefeated i love it too i think it is awesome great film yeah great coach inspirational coach and uh the team he has to wrangle is a team of troubled kids and kids who are trying to do the right thing kids who can't do the right thing and it's uh, it's, 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 it's drama it's great drama yep. they capture every aspect of it i agree i love yep. it it's totally great. awesome uh also on the drama front is uh pina and this is not the story of one of the three ships that uh, sailed to Uh This is a collaboration between uh, Vim Vendors. Criterion, we should point out. This is a Criterion yes, doc. Yes, Criterion. We love Criterion. Love Criterion. Vim Vendors, this is, a, uh, this is his film. This is a, all about this. There's this German um, modern dancer named Pina Bausch. Mm-hmm. Bausch. Le- leg- legendary choreographer and dancer. She actually died a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, all I can say about this movie is that a it is incredibly gorgeous. Uh, it is in Blu-ray 3D as long as which is well a as first Criterion, 3D. first for Criterion, a first for Criterion. Yeah. Of course, Criterion did it right. Uh, that's how it was released. It was released in 3D. Vim, Vim decided to go the 3D route because he wanted. Well, there, there's a kind of proscenium thing that happens here, where the way that he shoots it, it when the dancers are on stage, and it's a very kind of impressionistic. Um, 
almost. This is almost like the the Coyne Scotsy of dance films. It sort of is. I mean, because they they, they they there are a lot of interesting. He gets all of the dancers who are still from the from Pina's troupe, and they restage a lot of these dance performances in weird public settings, but oftentimes on a stage as well. And uh, it's very kind of avant-garde in a certain way, which is appropriate to the dance style. But the the 3D creates a proscenium effect, which is what Vim wanted to do. I don't know that it's all that effective. I usually rip on 3D because it's all very cartoonish. But I understand what he was doing here. He wanted to... It's very low-key. He it's, wa- low-key. it's very low-key. He wanted you to feel as though you were in the audience watching something on the stage. And when you watch something on a stage, it is in 3D. So he wanted to use the 3D to, re- to, to sort of make a movie feel more like a stage experience in some sense. It's an interesting idea. I don't think it's entirely effective, but it is certainly an interesting uh, thing to try and do. It's great. It's, 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 it's emotional. It's beautiful. It's so well shot. It's for dance fans. It's for non-dance fans. I think this thing is just visually dazzling. It's really, really good stuff. Pina, uh, this is, of course, from Criterion. And as usual, they just lard this thing up with all sorts of great extras, behind-the-scenes footage, interview with the director, of course, uh, the booklet with the essay they always have, great high-definition digital master, great sound, uh, a making of Pina. If you like dance, if you don't like dance, you will like it. It's totally. good docs this week. What's up with the docs? I know. Wayne? I'll tell you. Uh, I've got one here from Kino. This is uh, a history of Israeli cinema. It's great. It's thirty seconds long. Um, our no, next. No, you're trying. You're, you're trying to rip on that dead joke from airplane. <laughs> when the stewardess gives the pamphlet that says, "I like some great, light great reading." Great Jewish athletes. Great Jewish sports legends. Yeah, it's, but but you know, Mark Spitz, and there are a lot of them now, actually. Um, especially in in tennis, you know, there've been a lot of a lot of great great Jewish tennis players. There's actually a documentary about um, which I watched a few years ago. It's about it's all about Hank Greenberg, who was kind of the yeah. first Jewish uh, baseball star. Yeah, Hall of Famer Hank Greenberg. Now this is two discs actually. It's about three and a half hours long. And, and believe it or not, Israeli cinema is a is a, is a very the history is incredibly interesting, and it's uh, very much tied to politics, obviously. And uh, how can it not be? But uh, what's interesting to me as well is that you get uh, a lot of interesting figures who have been prominent in Hollywood in here too. Like, for example, Menachem Golan shows up. And, uh, <laughs> I thought you said the Menachem Golan show. No. The Menachem the... Golan show. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, Menachem be... Golan. Oh, that would be so Comes out and does a monologue. tragic. Uh, but it, no, it's very, very interesting, and you can't uh, really uh, separate the history of Israeli cinema from the politics at all. So it, um, it, it's almost, in a way, a history of Israel, uh, seen through the development of the Israeli film industry. It's very, very interesting, and obviously now is sort of the golden era for Israeli cinema. I mean, you've got a lot of filmmakers now. Amos Gitai was sort of the guy who, who held the torch for a long time, but now you've got, you know... Uh, I, I like Gitai. I know a lot of people don't like him. No, I, I like I him, too. I find myself liking his But movies. now you have, like, Joseph Sadar and, you know, a lot of others who are Really, really up and coming. Uh, the guy who did um, uh, uh, Waltz with Bashir. That's right. His name is. Uh, yeah, hang on. Okay. No, no. Start saying. Uh, I'm gonna. Uh, uh, I'm gonna. You do uh, that. You look for it. Uh, 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 Ari on. Fulman. No. Yeah. Fulman. That's it. It's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a good well, guy. You, you play poker with him. Yeah. We, we hang out. We hang out. We, uh, you know, do the thing. Uh, Diana Vreeland, The Eye Has to Travel, is a, is a really, really cool uh, documentary as well. If you don't know who Diana Vreeland is, uh, she is she was one of the, the the handful of those sort of publishing mavens who created fashion and style for many, many, many decades. Uh, she was the uh, the editor in chief of uh, Harper's Bazaar for a quarter century, and then went on to become editor in chief of Vogue. And uh, you cannot talk about American fashion and style without talking about Diana Vreeland. It's a very, very personal film because it is her uh, daughter-in-law, who never really knew her, who did the documentary, who directed it and produced it. 
And uh, so you get obviously a very, very uh, inside family focus on this. It's a, it's a fascinating film. And it's a wonderful look at a, at a highly motivated, incredibly talented woman who had a, such a marked effect on, uh, on all things fashion and style that I don't think we even realize how it lingers today. I mean, really just uh, amazing, unbelievable what people in that, that particular aspect of the publishing industry I don't think we, we really even fully process what it does. It's not like what we have done. You know, it's not like film magazines or anything. I mean, the fashion magazines are the big deal. They are the big deal. And then uh, Paul Williams is still alive. Yay! This is actually really fun. Uh, I love Paul Williams. It's not, a very, awesome. it's not a very deep doc. It's just kind of a fluffy doc. But um, I mean, if, they, I mean he, Paul Williams had a moment, like a serious moment. Yeah. He was great. He, yeah. he, was, he wrote Rainbow Connection, the, yeah, right. uh, with like the all-time classic hey, Muppet he song. Played, he played Miguelito Lovelace's son in the television movie that resurrected the Wild Wild West. Uh, what? What, what, what was that? <laughs> Wild Wild West? He also wrote Evergreen, which was just sung on the Oscars the other night. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, you know what? So this is all. What this does is says, "Hey, Paul Williams is still alive, and we're going to give you a documentary that just revisits him and his career and his well, talent." Well, you know what it is also he's so incredibly seventies. You just assume that he like died in nineteen seventy nine because he's so I know seventies that you realize that it's two thousand thirteen and the guy's still around. It's great. You know, he's so synonymous with the seventies, but he's so much fun. He's, he's still awesome. so much fun. He's awesome. He's just a, he's just a short, interesting, squirrely little guy who has so much talent, and he's a good actor. He used to be, a, and he was one of those guys who popped up on the Love Boat and Fantasy Island all the time. And it was always so. He's like, oh yeah, Paul Williams, he was awesome, a, sing a song. He was a staple, staple yeah, of the seventies. Uh, anyway, there's another doc that I want to uh, uh, call your attention to, which I know you've never heard of because I didn't hear of it until uh, I finally saw it. Called "Beauty Is Embarrassing," the Wayne White story. Now, "Beauty Is Embarrassing" uh, is a terrific doc because Wayne White is a terrifically interesting guy. Here's the thing with Wayne White. Uh, Wayne White. And once you realize his credits, you'll be like, wow, that guy really existed? He must be cool. And he is cool. Wayne White is an artist and a cartoonist. He started his career in the East Village doing cartoons for the East Village. And then got his, he got his big break as a designer uh, and a puppeteer and a voiceover actor on Pee-wee's Playhouse. So you know that the people who are on Pee-wee's – the people involved in Pee-wee's Playhouse, A, are just visually brilliant. And they're a little bit twisted. So ready you know if this guy is responsible for the visual look. Uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, he's already out of his mind. And for later audiences who may, maybe weren't around for uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, he also wound up animating uh, music videos for Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Tonight Tonight, which is very visually distinctive, and Peter Gabriel, uh, Big Time, which is also very visually distinctive. So Beauty is Embarrassing is all about Wayne's life. He continues to uh, play. He's a guitarist. He plays the banjo. He continues to do that on stage. He's really very much of a raconteur, very much of like kind of like an old old soul kind of a throwback kind of a guy, um, and it's great. It's very it's it's the type of doc that I love where it, where it takes a guy who you've never heard of him, and then he makes a case for him, and makes a case for his career, and how interesting he is, and you realize that these are kind of the unsung crazy heroes of some of the things you grew up on, including music videos, and Pee-wee's Playhouse. So Beauty is Embarrassing, the Wayne White story is good stuff. There's plenty of um, uh, special features on the uh, DVD, including an audio commentary from the director and Wayne White. And uh, there's a slideshow featuring Wayne's original artwork, which is great. 
Very pleasurable stuff. Good stuff. Beauty is embarrassing. Very nice. Also, doing a podcast with Wade, also embarrassing. Yep. I'm going to uh, rock through a... We, we have a ton of PBS docs right here, and I'm not going to... Uh, Why are we doing docs all day? Is there anything else to do? Well, well, yeah, there's a ton of stuff to do, but you know, docs have kind of backed up, and there was a ton of these PBS things, and I figured it was a good time to get into it. And uh, so, you know, the PBS stuff is always really strong, and a lot of good stuff here for people, so I'll just go through this real quickly. Uh, the Reagan presidency, which is, uh, was, uh, you know, it's not the comprehensive Reagan doc, but it's always interesting. Those were fascinating years. We all lived through it. At least some of us did. And, uh, you know, whether or not you like Reagan or approve of the presidency or the policies, forget about the politics of it. Uh, those were interesting years because those were Cold War years. And, I, you know, sometimes I forget what just what the Cold War was like. Those were kind of groovy times, you know, the superpowers and you felt the weight of this international competition. From the series Nova, The Mystery of Easter Island, which is uh, getting all kinds of attention again. And this is on Blu-ray. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, you just cannot... Uh, it, it made me realize just what a bad movie Rapa Nui was. Remember Rapa Nui? With yeah, the, that was the oh um, gosh, Kevin the, Reynolds movie. Oh, geez, that was, was Kevin Reynolds' last shot because I'm sure <laughs> Kevin Costner was like, please hire Kevin Reynolds. This guy needs a job. Man, that... that that's, it's called uh, Rapa Nui. Who wants to see a movie called Rapa Nui? Yeah, that also pretty much put an end to Jason uh, Scott Lee's career. That kind of tanked him. Uh, anyway, this is it's just really interesting stuff, and it's beautifully shot, fantastically suited to uh, to Blu-ray. Uh, and uh, you know what? The island itself and those damn statues are just they're, they're just so incredibly. Incre- just unbelievably cool, and this is uh, taking a whole new look at it, and the science behind it—it's it's just it's riveting throughout. Uh, also from Nova on Blu-ray is the Ultimate Mars Challenge. This is a little bit less engaging, I have to say. Um, this is all about the uh, the Mars Science Laboratory um, mission that was launched in August of 2012, and uh, y- you know what? This is great uh, on one level, which is the science behind it, uh, the way that they executed the mission it w- is incredible, and I can say that firsthand because uh, my you've co- been to Mars? No, my cousin is one of the JPL engineers who was you know on pins and needles that night when they were landing the thing, and I remember monitoring his wife's Facebook post. It's like, yay! Oh, that was amazing. That yeah. was a great night. Yeah, and he was right there. He was in the control room. He was one of the guys who had to you know make it happen. So I mean, I have a little bit of a family connection to it um but at the same time i just it's not it, you know it's not as sort of apart from that one aspect of it uh it, it feels like they're belaboring it a little bit uh, at a certain point so interesting but certainly not one of the best but very nicely put together the, the, as a blu-ray it's very good uh henry ford legendary figure absolutely incredible this is a great documentary from american experience uh henry ford one of those uh, incredible industrialists and capitalists and innovators who anti-semite really, well, you know what? This is the interesting thing. D- flawed man. Deeply flawed man. Incredibly influential, but deeply flawed. And we can think of Steve Jobs and a lot of these and guys. And I know. Oh, Steve Jobs? See, you, you will never you will never <laughs> drive a Lincoln, will you? <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, my, my, my father used to never uh, – uh, he always used to buy American cars. You can't drive a Corvette because, you know, Henry Ford is an anti-Semite. You can't buy a Volkswagen like, because, you know, you know Hit, it, it, Hitler funded the company. I mean, yes. There, there, can't there, buy a BMW because, you know, Bavarian Motor Works, World War One. they served the Kaiser. There is a certain level at which you really <laughs> – okay. There is a certain level at which you really shouldn't support somebody or a thing, but – that level is a lot, is pretty high. It's like yeah, if know. you could trace everybody to some bad thought they had, and of then course. you go, "I'm not going to." They yeah. they don't they want like you know you know the whole Mitt Romney thing, and I I didn't vote for Mitt Romney, not interested. But you know the whole thing with like Mitt Romney strapped his dog to a car. I don't Who care. Cares? I don't care. You know what? If, if if he would if he would be a great president, I would I would take fifty shelter dogs, strap them 
to the hood of my car and drive the car off a cliff. There you go. If I thought that this guy would make a great president, keep us out of war, keep my taxes low, you know, I, I thought I'd be fine with that. That doesn't r- r- rise to the level of me not voting for somebody. And from the Nova Science, you. you're welcome. From the Nova Science Now series, we have two two terrific ones. What will the future be like? The answer: screwed. And the other one: what are animals thinking? Stupid animals. Food. Animals are That's dumb. It. Uh, no, actually, really quite good. Uh, you know, again, this is this is almost better for like teenagers. These are an hour apiece, and uh, they get into some interesting but very kind of superficial. Uh, Things, but you know it's interesting. I mean, uh, you know, you, you learn the one, the animal one. I think is really interesting. I, I learned a lot actually about the cognitive faculties of animals. They have that none. I, I had no, I they had have no none. idea. They're no, stupid. They do. They know things. No, they don't. They do know things. They're so dumb. They have a level of understanding that you just don't understand. Uh, from Frontline, poor kids, an intimate portrait of America's economic crisis. I felt like this was a little bit, um, a little bit sensational. But at the same time, they go to some really, really just crap parts of the country, and uh, it is, it, it's, it's devastating what these kids go through. Uh, it really is. But at the same time, it does feel like they're pushing they're, – they're trying to pluck your heartstrings just a little bit too hard. Uh, very professionally done, thanks to WGBH, who uh, does a lot of these. But, um, yeah, you know, just uh, go in and take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's not like this through the whole country. It's, it's bad in spots, but, you know, it's not all that bad. And uh, Climate of Doubt, finishing these off real quickly. Uh, another front line, the politics of global warming. This is much more even-handed. Uh, I felt this was uh, really interesting. It doesn't get into global warming, uh, the, the, um, the particulars of it as much. It just gets into the politics of it. Very, very nicely put together. Uh, breakfast special two, Revenge of the Omelets. You like omelets, Mark? I like omelets. I love omelets. I love totally frittatas, mm. quiche, omelets. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is uh, this will just make you hungry. And I, I, I it's... You got to be careful there. The Mayo Clinic diet. Uh, speaking of hungry, this is. Um, I'm not sure I agree with this diet. You know, I I'm I'm not a nutritional nut, but I do try to take care of myself. And uh, you know what? I don't know. The, the, what kind lo- of diet would be named after mayonnaise? Thank you. The, the mayonnaise the, the, diet. Well, what they're doing is they're they're really kind of attacking a lot of these other weight loss programs, and they're sort of constructing their own. But I just I I'm there's still a lot of stuff that I don't totally buy. It's interesting, but again, take it with a grain of salt. Hurricane Sandy inside the megastorm, another uh, installment of Nova. This one is on uh, DVD, not Blu-ray. And uh, I don't know, um, you know, Hurricane Sandy was a big deal, but. Uh, Biggest storm of the century, or something like that, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was devastating. Yeah, yeah. you know we don't live. We don't. Wade and I do not live in uh, you know hurricane land, tornado land, superstorm land. You, you we watch live it, in earthquake you, land. Yeah, we do. And I'm kind of you know it, it, we haven't had an earthquake in a long time. All right, don't I mean, don't jinx it. My my condo will crumble. <laughs> my condo will fold like Superman on laundry day. And the last two uh, before we get into well, Mark, talk about just uh, pull a couple of good ones out of that bunch there pull a couple of good ones we'll finish those off then we'll do a vox box and then we'll wrap up the show with uh some some new and classic titles wait wait so you're saying that we're going to talk about stuff people care about yeah finally absolutely. after an hour well these are these good docs here come on give me a break uh <laughs> the last two are are a little bit middling uh boundless potential with mark walton reinvent your career in midlife crisis and or in uh, in midlife and beyond um, and uh, this is really more about making a, a real quickie PBS documentary that tackles a lot of the anxieties people have in, a, in slow economic times. And then the other one, The Distracted Mind, Attention, Distraction, and the Myth of Multitasking, which basically says, you know, when you're texting while you're driving and listening to the radio and trying to talk to your friend on the phone at the same time, don't do that. 
Wow. So basically what you're saying is don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. You'll kill people. Unbelievable. Okay, wait. Uh, from 1970, we have a great Kino release. That is a uh, must, must watch, especially during uh, ML, MLK Day time. Oh, during during uh, especially during Black History Month. Yes, which this no longer is. Uh, King, a filmed record. Montgomery. Oh, that's right. We're in, we're in March now. Jeez, know, February don't. blew by. Don't See, it's because I had a child yeah, who's a month old now. Freaking baby. It's unbelievable. I think she's so smart. Um, yeah, you know what? Honestly, I, the older you get, it's like it used to be that every year when you were a kid. Every month lasted like three months, and like you know, summer vacation couldn't come couldn't come fast enough. It took forever. Then when you get older, every year lasts about six months. It's it's exceedingly depressing. It really is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is great stuff. This is a uh, an amazing documentary called King, a filmed record, Montgomery to Memphis. Kino put this out along with the Library of Congress, who had uh, restored the uh, the footage. This is amazing stuff. This is uh, Martin Luther King from 1955 to 1968. This is kind of the uh, his his rise from just a you know kind of like a local activist to Martin Luther King and the leader of the civil rights movement. There's a lot of rare footage here, speeches and protests, and of course he was arrested a number of times. And um, this is 1970, folks. Don't forget, just a couple of years after he had died. So it's not slick and glossy, but it's very comprehensive. And uh, I think the original uh, the original length of this thing was like a three hours, and this one from Kino restores it to that three-hour time frame, and it's fantastic. Uh, Ruby D is in it, Harry Belafonte, Charlton Heston, Burt Lancaster, Paul Newman, all great stars of the 70s. And uh, I love this thing. This was an, uh, an Oscar nominee at the time for Best Documentary Feature in 1970, and it is a must-watch. Uh, I don't know that you need to necessarily wait till February to watch this thing, because it's just great. Ma- uh, it's called King, a filmed record. Also, we have uh, from the good folks at Athena an interesting documentary called The Power of Myth with Bill Moyers, the 25th anniversary. Now, about 25 years ago, Bill Moyers, who was a uh, journalist who's worked with NBC and CBS and PBS, he interviewed Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell, of course, is the uh, creator of the Hero of a Thousand the soup, Fi- the soup. The soup guy. Huh? He's the soup guy. The Campbell soup guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. When you said the soup, I thought you meant the TV show on no, E. No, no, that you used to work on, yeah, <laughs> yes. when it was talk soup. Yes. No. Uh, he's the creator of A Hero of a Thousand uh, uh, Faces and uh, pretty much the archetype for the movie hero who we now enjoy watching in movies like Everything That Has a Hero. Outstanding. Uh, so this is Bill Moyers talking to Joseph Campbell about uh, about the power of myth and Here of a Thousand Faces, and it's great stuff. All right. Fabulous. Mark, it's time for VoxBox. What? Can I sing the song? Sing the song. It's not yet waited. I'm still going waiting. Hi, this is Clark from Connecticut and a huge fan of your show. I have a quick question for you. When you are traveling, how do you best watch movies? What device do you use? What kind of media do you use? What kind of headphones do you use? Thanks so much, and keep up the great work. Well, I will uh, That's an interesting question. That's Clark Aldrich. Uh, thank you, Clark. Good question. Um, Mark, you don't really watch movies when you travel, do you? I, I don't, because I, I, I'm, I'm a classic, quintessential, proud, light traveler. <laughs> I mean, literally. I mean, I will literally go to, like, like, New York for 10 days on four days of clothing and just wash everything twice or three times. Wow. Okay. Seriously, it's like as opposed I, to me, who I will go to Europe and I will I'll I'll go to London for four days and bring like two weeks worth of clothing. I, so I, I have a choice. I've gone to Europe. <laughs> I don't I've, like getting down to that last day and going. Well, I only have one one 
pair of clothes that are clean. I have gone to Europe. Yeah. And now when you go to Europe, you know you, you know you're going for at least like you know ten days, yeah. not two weeks. I've yeah. gone to Europe on carry-on luggage. Wow. Oh yeah, and, that's and, impressive. And, and by the way, I am proud of that MF. <laughs> I do that every time. Um, you know what? I I, I will bring my uh, MacBook Pro. And uh, I don't I don't do this thing that a lot of people do where you load up your uh, your iPad with uh, digital copies and you kind of watch it on your iPad. I, I've never done that. Uh, I've always just brought discs along. I kind of bring along an old school CD wallet and or DVD wallet and just kind of pull them out and watch them on the uh, the MacBook Pro. And that's fine. Uh, it works for me. Uh, the headphones. I'm going to tell you what headphones I use. Actually, I use Audio Technica ATH ANC7 noise canceling headphones, which, by the way, are great headphones even when you don't have the noise canceling turned on. Uh, they're just still great headphones. The noise canceling adds this extra kind of pressure layer or something so that you don't hear the plane and you don't hear other people, and it's great. And it's it, it's so much better than watching the crap that they have on those little tiny screens on the plane, anyhow. Unless you fly Virgin America or Virgin Atlantic, where you you know they basically give you a hot oil massage while you're sitting there watching a the movie, really something like that. No, they're really great headphones. And the thing, the reason I like them better than the Bose, the Bose are like rechargeable and they've got all this other stuff, and you're paying partly for the name. These are just as good as the Bose, and uh, just bring along some you know AA batteries and pop them in, and you're 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 good. If the battery wears out, just change the battery and you're fine and it's much better than having to worry about all this rechargeable crap so yeah uh, but otherwise a really good question that's how I do it uh, but I don't do a lot of film watching when I'm traveling unless it's on a plane that's the only time I really have time that, that's it alright Mark let's, let's move into talking about the finally uh, this is the big this is the big re- release of the week and it's worth talking about because uh, the Oscars were uh, a little while ago a couple of weeks ago and um uh, Brave won, and I think a lot of us expected Frank and Weenie to win. I didn't think, I really, truly didn't think that they would give it to another Pixar CGI movie, especially well, it's not one very like good. it's not very good. It's just it was a weak year for animation. It was and weak. the thing is that the animated the animated committee only rarely goes out on, on any sort of a limb because there's there's a lot of great world but, animation. But three of those films were stop motion animation this year. Three out of the five, and that's cool. That was cool. That was really good. But there's a lot of world animation that, they, that world the animation, Academy rarely, sometimes they do, rarely but acknowledges. We're talking about one of the nominees, which I just thought was whatever. I don't get it. Everybody Wreck-It likes Ralph. this movie. Why? Wait, tell Ralph. Me why? I don't understand why. Yes, Wreck-It it's Ralph. video games. I get it. Did we, we, whatever. We should get Corey to, to probably weigh in on this, because Corey went to, as, as Ralph on Halloween, uh, which I guess he has some affection for this thing, but I, I just don't get it. It's like the whole video game concept we're in a video game it's like it's like Tron taken to a cartoony level and I don't I don't understand help me understand it's like Mario Brothers it's like the whole Mario Brothers thing again I, I, got, I just don't I, get it I got the screener as part of our uh, last of duties and you know what after half an hour I stopped watching and by the way I love animated films I love video games half an hour stop watching but people love it. this movie don't get it what I have in my hands is the Wreck-It Ralph 4-disc combo pack. This is a big whopping mama with a lenticular, testicular, uh, ventricular cover. And the big gold-plated Ultimate Collector's Edition that has a Blu-ray 3D, a Blu-ray, a DVD, and a digital copy disc. All four. It, is, it weighs about 18 pounds. Uh, and it is just loaded with friggin' extras. It is just piled on with extras. It's got the, the it's got the Paperman short on it, which is worth watching. That's, That's cool. that also won the, Oscar, super cool. that won the Oscar for short film. That's super cool. And that actually is almost worth the price alone because that's really great. 
Um, and then you also get a bunch of other featurette stuff, which are you know whatever, uh, like Dis- like the, the Gamer's Guide to Wreck It Ralph, hosted by Chris Hardwick, and a whole bunch of other useless stuff. I, but I, I you know I, I I'm willing to concede the animation's good and the voice casting is good, but I just don't think it's all that interesting of a movie. I don't think the story's interesting. It just feels derivative as hell. I get it. I'm right there with you. Yeah, do not get it. Right. And I hate the fact that I agree with you, but I do. Well, whatever. Uh, and then uh, reaching back to uh, an older movie, Phantasm 2. The Phantasming. <laughs> Phantasm 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> the Phantasm movies are just such a riot. Uh, they're not in any way scary at all. Um, but I, I'm, they're just so refreshing. They're such a throwback to a not even a different time, because they're not even like any other 80s horror films. It's just its own deal. Phantasm is its own deal. And uh, the great Don Coscarelli... Again, wrote and directed this thing, and the ball, and the uh, the tall dude, and the whole deal. It's just, it's it's a riot. And does it make any sense? No, not at all. Uh, don't even worry about this story. Just just watch the tall man and the ball, and watch people die. And you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. And Coscarelli and the actors also do a uh, an audio commentary. That's a lot of fun. So that's on Blu-ray. A collector's edition Blu-ray from uh, the wonderful people at Shout Factory through their Scream Factory uh, sub-license of uh, a lot of films, in this case Universal. Very good. I wait. Um, there, was a, a, there was a moment where Gerard Butler was going to be a star, and that moment is over now. And now he's doing movies like Playing for Keeps, a truly <laughs> witless and dreadful romantic comedy. This is the one where he plays the soccer player, right? Yeah. By the way, when it comes to witless and dreadful romantic comedies, that's really what they all are now. This is just. Oh my god! I mean, even the even the, the, the even the, the the key art looks don't, like just another stupid don't you feel, American romantic comedy. Don't don't you feel like this is how I feel about Gerard Butler's career? I feel like, and and truly, it, it happened in this last year. It's like Matthew McConaughey was driving this just rickety old car, and he could not offload that used car to anybody. He's talking to his friends. He's like, you got it, you got it, you got it. It's this, it's this great old Chevy Nova. They're like, yeah, no thanks, dude, that, that thing. That, the, oh, he's like, crap. And he's in all these bad movies, and he can't get out of them. And then Gerard Butler comes along, and he's like, oh, dude, dude, I can't do all these movies. You can, you can t- take the And Gerard Butler's like, oh, cool, I'll do those. And next thing you know, Matthew McConaughey is doing all kinds of interesting stuff. Right, like like this last yeah, year, Bernie, he, Bernie, and and uh, Magic Mike, Magic Mike, and the and the the, the what, what's the the NC seventeen thing that Friedkin did? The uh, oh yeah, bu- not Bug, uh, the, uh, Evil Bob, uh, yes. the horrible killer, Killer Joe, Killer, killer Joe. Joe. Thank you. I went from Evil Bob to Killer Joe. You like that stream of content? That's the way my like brain it. works. My I mnemonic devices. I don't like that at all. So, <laughs> and, and now Gerard Butler's stuck doing all the old lame it's crap so that Matthew McConaughey used to do. So, so now bad. he's got to find somebody to, to buy the car. Uh, Gerard Butler, Jessica Biel, Uma Thurman, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Dennis Quaid. Don't watch it. <laughs> it's on Blu-ray. Terrible. Oh, dear. Uh, you know, we've got a, a whole bunch of really cool olive films uh, here. Uh, you know what, Mark, speaking of... Uh, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm going to give you... The, here. I will assign you that to speak of while I'm blowing through the Olive film stuff. Olive does a, so many cool licensing uh, deals, and uh, the stuff that they're digging up from Paramount is is really interesting. You know, there's an old film called Plain Clothes, uh, directed by Martha Coolidge, and uh, I... I you know, this it's funny. I thought I remembered all the Martha Coolidge movies. It's from 1988, and it's really pretty good. A uh, really early performance from Arliss Howard as a, uh, a cop who goes undercover in a high school to prove that his younger brother, played by Lauren Dean, is innocent. 
So much better than 21 Jump Street, I can't even tell you. Uh, I thought I'd seen everything that Arliss Howard did. I thought I'd seen everything that uh, Martha Coolidge did. I was wrong, so that's a good pickup. You have shown me something, all the films I didn't realize ever existed. Uh, She-Devil is uh, an unbelievably cool film from 1957. This is one of those movies that, even though it's a studio film, it's a Paramount film from 1957, it is a a total B-movie. You know, the studios made their B-movies as well, uh, even when independents were making theirs. And uh, this is just, this is so cool. The guy who directed The Fly, uh, Kurt Newman, did this unbelievably cheesy, cool, kind of noirish, mad scientist movie. And... um, it's just it it, it you got to see it. You just got to definitely check it out. There's nobody, absolutely nobody, in this thing worth watching. Uh, but it's like a it's like Frankenstein crossed with uh, I don't know. Like imagine a beautiful woman as Frankenstein. Mari Blanchard. Never heard of her. She's fabulous. And then uh, we got another one uh, along the same lines called The Red Menace. She sold secrets for love. This is a Red Scare movie. It's hysterical. It is total propaganda. This is from 1949. Uh, This is just the beginning of the B-movie era. It's total early Cold War stuff. It is fantastic. Both of those are on Blu-ray. They are a riot, and uh, you got to get it. Uh, Anthony Mann, a guy who had a really uneven directing career, did Strangers in the Night for Paramount back in 1944. And uh, it is a, uh, it's not a pure noir, it's kind of a neo-noir, uh, because it's got a, uh, got a kind of a World War II angle to it, and I don't think you can really be truly noir with, uh, you know, it, you're either a World War II movie or a noir film. So if you're World War II and you're trying to noir it up, you're a neo-noir. Does that make sense? No. Okay, never mind. Nothing you say makes sense. But anyway, it's, uh, it's fine. It's, uh, you know, one of the, it's more of a novelty of the era than anything else. And then uh, Jean Renoir's Diary of a Chambermaid, finally and at long last. Uh, this is with Paulette Goddard. It is, uh, it's just a great movie. All I can say, 1946, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the more interesting Jean Renoir films of the period. And uh, it, it's just great. Uh, Paulette Goddard is, is just wonderful. It is a fantastic adaptation of the novel and uh, absolutely first rate. So, you know, uh, if you have the uh, Louis Bunuel film from 1964 that has Jean Moreau in it, you definitely want this. They compare very favorably. Each one belongs to its era, but it's definitely worth checking out, and a great, great Blu-ray transfer. Olive just does it right. Uh, did you ever see A New Life, Mark, with Alan Alda and Anne margaret I, I was all about Alan Alda. My dad loved Alan Alda because you know, my dad pretty much was Alan Alda. I and know. then when Alan Alda had a pretty moderately successful directing career, mm-hmm. uh, I would go see all of his movies. Did you like this? It's not bad. It's not bad. No, because I like Alan Alda. It's, it's not, not bad. bad. I mean, he wrote and directed. I don't know why he was never able to get a much more solid, get some more solid footing on his film career because he really, he's a good writer and he's a good director. Well, because you know what? Because he had a niche that, you know. It's, I mean, it's, what a, it's a Woody Allen niche. It's a Woody Allen thing, but yeah. it doesn't, it's not as, it's not as, uh, it's not as iconoclastic or as uh, singular he as should, Woody Allen. He should still be making movies. He really should. He's Alan awesome. Alda should be making movies. He should be writing and directing them. Anyway, New Life, it's a lovely film. It's a great performance from Anne Margaret. Uh, terrific uh, bits from people like Hal Linden and Mary Kay Place and Veronica <laughs> Hamill. I mean, all these iconic stars from the, the 80s. Lame. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> And then uh, Lee Jason, not Jennifer Jason Lee, but Lee Jason directs Joan Blondell and John Wayne in Lady for a Night. 
This is such an odd movie. Uh, this is another uh, Paramount pickup for Olive from 1942. And I'm not a Joan Blondell fan. I always thought she was kind of odd-looking. Uh, she could be fun as a kind of supporting actress who'd make you laugh and throw you that kind of cockeyed look that she could do. And, yeah, that was amusing from time to time. But, um, boy, this is just strange. Uh, it's it's like It's not funny enough to be a comedy, and it's not really... Uh, opulent enough to be I, I don't know it's it's kind of like caught between half a dozen different genres and uh, it it's all takes place on a riverboat casino and everybody's kind of miscast it's just a it's a weird film I'd almost recommend people rent this more than anything it's an interesting pickup for Olive I think it's good for John Wayne fans you know Olive is getting a lot of those old John Wayne movies from Paramount that they just don't know what to do with so from that standpoint it's nice for John Wayne completists but I would I would personally say that's a rental uh, finally right Wade oh yeah Finally, the uh, the unnecessary remake of Red Dawn. You know, uh, when the original Red Dawn came out, uh, it was very timely because the American teenagers had to uh, hold off, fend off, stave off a Russian invasion. But uh, now it's uh, 2009 when this thing was wrapped. And, uh, you know, America doesn't really have an enemy like that anymore. So what, what was very topical back in 1984 was remade with absolutely no topical hook at all. And what's even worse is that when the film was originally made, the villains were from China... Right, the Chinese were invading America, yeah. but of course, in a in a, in a lesson in in Hollywood uh, 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 business making and geopolitics, mm. uh, the American movie studios do not want to piss off China because China is one of the great emerging markets mm-hmm. to uh, to uh, devour our films, and there are only a certain amount of Chinese uh, of American made films that are allowed to be released in China per year, of which this would definitely not be one. So they went back and they digitally removed all the Chinese villains and replaced them with North Korean villains. <laughs> so now, Lame. so now, Chris Hemsworth, Josh Peck, Josh Hutcherson, and a bunch of other people are uh, fighting off an invasion of the North Koreans. Awesome! In a film that sucks anyway. So there awesome. you go. There I would uh, pass on Red Dawn. Thank Gosh. you very much. Well, there it is. The end. Of Red Dawn. All right, so uh, that does it for this show this week, and uh, we want to remind you, if you want to send in any Vox boxes or listener mail or any submissions for our new openings, uh, we still got time on that, so send those all to gods at digigods.com. Again, gods at digigods.com. Send us any audio format for your Vox box, quest- your Vox box question. Send us any other questions in email. And uh, also, again, submissions for new openings. We're, uh, we're going to start recording those probably in April. So we've got a, a few more weeks to take those. And you can send all of that to gods at digigods.com. Um, uh, Mark, eh. stop touring the Enterprise and say goodnight to the people. Um, I would like to say goodbye in a very uh, movie way. In what kind of movie way? Are you ready? I'm ready.
And that does it. So, uh, meanwhile, it, please send us emails, vox boxes, and suggested uh, suggestions for new openings to uh, gods at digigods.com. And include with those openings any plugs that you want us to do for your websites and your your books and your movies and everything else. We are happy to do it. And uh, with that, we will see you next week. <laughs>